Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back to God's Planning. This is Father Gregory Pine here with Father Jacob Bertrand Janzik, and we are coming to you on Holy Thursday. Uh, Father Jacob Bertrand, how are things? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I mean, I'd say doing well, except that the world is on fire, or at least like the metaphorical equivalent of being on fire. Mm. And I don't know, it's like it's like one of those things where I don't know whether it's too soon to joke about it. I suspect that it is, because, um, yeah, it's like the meme game is strong when it comes to COVID-19. And so on the one hand, people want to kind of enjoy the thing. But the situation is also like so sad beyond compare that it's hard to it's yeah, it's just hard to make sense like what tone to adopt. So if we're a little bit schizophrenic in this episode, <laughs> our sincere apologies because life is crazy and uh, yeah, the people of God are made to endure things that they ought not be made to endure. Like Holy Week. <laughs> um, so who knows? But um, in other news, uh, things continue with some semblance of normalcy, uh, maybe like 0.03% semblance of normalcy. How are things in the vocation office? About 0.03% normal. (laughs) (laughs) But we're we're rolling on. We've had, uh, unfortunately, the other weekend we had, last weekend we had to cancel our our, um, April vocation weekend, but that's all right. We have more coming up uh, in the fall and paperwork, applications, all of that, it's still rolling. We're on like plans B and C and contingency <laughs> D, and but we're we're cruising on. So we're surviving. We're doing well. Yeah. I'd ask you what your travel plans are, but I know the answer to that Zilch. question. Yeah, exactly. Zilch. Um, here we go. I'm racking up my miles. It's, <laughs> it's rough. No, yeah. It's, things are difficult, you know, and they could expire within a year and a half, depending on which carrier. So you got to really... Never mind, I'll stop talking about that. Um, here we go. Things in the Thomistic Institute proceed apace. There's some actually some some cool things, some very um, encouraging things. Um, obviously, all of our, our programming is on campus, whether lectures or conferences or retreats, and all campuses are closed. <laughs> so that was that was a pretty devastating blow when you went from like, you know, fifty events remaining in the next six weeks to zero events remaining in the next six weeks. Well that's like a boss move on a checklist. got it all done yeah if life were about checking things off on a checklist which in some sense it kind of is it'd be great but alas and alack yeah a lot of good for souls uh left undone uh so we just jump shifted to use an antiquated bridge term um into the quarantine lectures so we're live streaming events from the uh dominican house of studies and uh, we have speakers who live here um giving 35 minute lectures and then folks are joining on zoom youtube live facebook live and we've had some really, yeah, just some some great encounters, some great conversations. There were like, I don't know, maybe like 1,300 people who showed up for the first event, virtually as it were, which is really encouraging. Another thing that I'm really, yeah, pumped about, jazzed about, is that um, a couple years ago we did an RCIA program with uh, St. Benedict's Press, Tan Books. And um, they have that, you know, hosted on their site, and the books were for sale, I think maybe like $40 for the one and $50 for the other. Uh, but the CEO, I mean, the the president of the company, we chatted with him and he's like, yeah, we got to go on. We got to go on spiritual offense. And this is a time during which a lot of RCIA folks could potentially fall through the cracks unless we do something generous to really make it possible for them. Uh, yeah, to uh, get aboard the Ark of Salvation. And so they went ahead and just made everything free. So all the videos are on YouTube and uh, the books, PDFs of the books are all free on their website. And uh, yeah, it's called Credo is the name of the program. 
So you can just Google it and find it. Even if you're not in RCIA, it's still a worthy resource. It's um, short videos, seven to maybe 12 minutes long that walk you through the catechism. 36 lessons, which comes with a workbook. And then you get some like kind of witness testimonies from folks in the community who are describing their own experience of RCIA and living the Catholic faith. But yeah, it's a great way to grow, especially in a time of solitude, especially in a time where people aren't deciding so much whether to binge content as to what content to binge. Um, so yeah, there's some quality programming there. So check out the quarantine lectures, check out Credo, and uh, you know Aquinas 101 is still plugging along, so check that out as well. And Tiger King. And Tiger King, from what I understand, is the most popular streamed thing on Netflix. I have no idea what it is. I've just heard the name of it. I don't either, but I suspect that it's something that we shouldn't know anything about. So I, I, yeah, we should just gloss it and move on. Perfect. Um, I can't imagine that something named Tiger Thing, or excuse me, whatever, move on. <laughs> um, so here in this episode, we're going to talk about the priesthood and maybe just kind of set it up. Uh, it's a time where the priesthood is in a very strange, strange place. Uh, because, you know, you have the way that Lumen Gentium describes it, you have the common priesthood, so we're all priests, prophet, and king by virtue of our baptism, and then you have the ministerial priesthood, which is instituted basically for the service of the common priesthood, right? So to minister the sacraments, and in a lot of places, that's just, it's not going on. And it's a source of, yeah, great sadness, um, a source of great suffering for many people. Um, so, yeah, we're just, we're going to talk about the priesthood in a way that Please, God opens up the mystery in such a way as to derive fruit therefrom because, yeah, they're tough times. <sighs> okay, so here we go. Let's just talk about the priesthood. Let's get a little, little perspective on things. So uh, obviously there are priests in the Old Testament. What does that look like in the Old Testament, Father Jacob Bertrand? Yeah, so we when we look at the priesthood, the, the Catholic priesthood, we it's always good to kind of trace the lineage, mm. I guess, right? So we can look back and see how... Um, where it comes from, where the priesthood comes from, where sort of the office of sacrifice or one who sacrifices comes from, because as we'll talk about, that's really what the priest does through his mediation. So looking in the Old Testament, um, we have, the, we can look at the duties that the, that the priests did, the, the, the Levitical priests, the temple priests, um, and, and generally what they were, what the priests were doing were sort of, the, they were participating in, in kind of sanctuary duties. So offering the sacrifice, burning incense, these sorts of things. We can think of, um, Zechariah in the new Testament, um, the father of, of John the Baptist, he was a Levitical priest. And when he was told that Elizabeth, um, was going to, to bear a son that he was, he was in the temple, um, functioning as a priest then. Um, they also function as sort of divine interpreters, not necessarily like, not like a prophet's guild necessarily, but ones, one who would kind of mediate and interpret um, scripture, the Torah, Revelation, these sorts of things. Um, and then of course is uh, before the fall of the temple in Jerusalem, um, sort of the, the centerpiece of, of Jewish worship, uh, um, was the the temple sacrifice that was offered? So the priest would offer a temple temple sacrifice there. When we look at a sort of historical context there too of who the priests were, it's in a sense there's a kind of a different origin in the Old Testament as there is in in sort of the New Covenant from the New Testament on. Um, I mentioned Levitical priesthood from um, a couple times, and priests of the Old Testament were generally from the tribe of Levi. So they were kind of born into the fa a family of priests, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, and, and so that it was sort of an inherited kind of role rather than um, a sort of individual kind of chosen to, um, 
to become a priest as as we're kind of used to now. So there was more of kind of um, like I don't want to say a caste in the negative sense, but a branch of priests within uh, within um, within Judaism within within the the Israelite nation. Um, we could of course say a lot more. I don't know. Do you have a, things to add on there, Father Gregory, from your knowledge of the Old Testament priesthood? I know they wore some pretty sweet vestments too. <laughs> seemed like. The ephod and the turban, yeah. So I mean, they have some some sweet outfits going on, uh, which is a principal reason for which one becomes a priest of any sort. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to my spiritual director in college, and he was like, "I have to tell you, young Gregory, that the habit was most of my discernment." So uh, yeah, I suppose maybe the similar thing obtains in the case of the priesthood, though I suspect no. Um, but I think that I mean, in as much as Old Testament priesthood gives us a kind of backdrop, certainly um, the the shape, the nature of the priesthood comes together or yeah it coalesces in the new testament with christ's institution and that's the reason for which we pick holy thursday to talk about this in the back to basic series um that the priesthood is is an essential feature of you know christian life uh and then the ministerial priesthood is a kind of intensification of that priesthood or peculiar mode of service of that priesthood um but we really we see it you know we see it on holy thursday when the lord uh institutes the sacrament of you know the Holy Eucharist, he institutes the sacrament of the priesthood, and he gives us a new commandment. And so we're supposed to associate those things together, uh, not just because they all kind of took place on one night, but because the mysteries themselves are correlated. So the priest is for the Eucharist, is for the people. He is, uh, I think of the Graham Greene novel, Power and the Glory, um, where this whiskey priest kind of trembles at the thought that he is given the capacity, or he's given the grace to, to put God in another human being's tongue. So uh, you see at the, um, you know, at the Last Supper that a priest is ordained for service, right? Which uh, that image kind of coalesces in the, in the Old Testament and comes to its perfection in the New, right? But he's, he's instituted to be another Christ, right? To give in sacrifice of himself, Christ who is the victim, Christ who is the high priest, Christ is the one to whom we offer or through whom we offer to the Father. Um, so yeah, I know, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of mystery that's so thick that it almost defies comprehension or searching knowledge. It's something before which we kind of just stand in awe and ask God to illumine our minds and to open our hearts to the fullness thereof. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You want to, I mean, it's obviously the Holy Thursday doesn't exhaust the mystery of the priesthood in the New Testament. Other other passages, there are plenty of other passages that, that shed light on it. Yeah, the letter to the Hebrews is kind of the, the quintessential um, priestly, text in in the new testament if if that's how we're going to kind of classify things um so that that a lot of this sort of idea of mediation and sacrifice that the priest offers and that the priest is in imitation of the high priest who is christ um is is sort of expounded and revealed in the letter to the hebrews so um that that's kind of a that is a that is a piece of scripture that's kind of near and dear to our hearts as priests often uh, a reading at an ordination mass is taken from the letter to the Hebrews. So it kind of has, um, they, they go in hand in hand. It's kind of, a, a, I don't know how they go together, right? So that, but that idea of the high priest of um, mediation of sacrifice is something that um, defines 
the priesthood here on earth. Um, so as Father Gregory was saying that, you know, a priest functions in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. Through ordination, a priest becomes another Christ and functions as the mediator. He works as the mediator. Often we can look at the priesthood and think um, that the priest is sort of a functionary, that he does things, he says mass, he does kind of social works maybe, um, he performs weddings and funerals, and all of these things are true, but at root, uh, or at, f at the foundation, the priest is, is a priest because Christ is a priest, um, because we, through ordination, are conformed to the person of Christ, so that as Christ mediated, as Christ stood in, in sort of, he stood in, in between God and man, as it were, he offered prayers up to God on behalf of man, and he, and he interceded for man as God. Um, so we talk about this descending and ascending mediation. The priest does the same. Um, we can think about uh, the Mass and the way the Mass works in the Eucharist. You know, the Eucharist is also, um, the institution of the Eucharist, as Father Gregory said, is celebrated today on Holy Thursday. Um, the priest does the same in the Mass, right? He, he prays on behalf of the people, but he also prays to God. Um, for the people. So there's there's a sort of, um, I don't know, kind of standing in the breach in between mediating between between God and man, offering sacrifice that, that the priest um, functions as because that's what, that's who Christ is. Uh, yeah, I think, um, so when like St. Thomas talks about sacrifice, he mentions it for the first time. Well, he mentions it all over the place, but he gives it a, a pretty adequate treatment in the treatise on justice. So in the treatise on justice, he talks about how there are these different aspects of justice, which he calls potential parts, which are basically like virtues, but that don't have the fullness of the virtue that they are attached to. So like justice, you give another his due. Um, religion, you try, but uh, you can't quite give God his due on account of the fact that you owe him everything as our creator and end. But it's still a duty to which we are bound and something that we uh, kind of expend our lives in trying to make adequate uh, self-gift so as to reflect the nature of our relationship. Um, but in the context of that, he talks about the interior dimensions of religion, so like prayer, where we raise our minds and hearts to God, and devotion, where we offer him our wills promptly. But then he talks about the exterior dimensions of that, one of, one of which exterior dimensions is sacrifice. And he says in a sacrifice, you offer something to God, right, as a pleasing offering, and that thing is changed in the process. Um, Maybe maybe it's destroyed, maybe it's like burned entirely on the altar like a holocaust offering would have been in the Old Testament. Um, or maybe it's just, it's changed in some other way. Uh, but then he picks that theme up in his description of Christ, in the treatise on Christ, and then again in his description of the Holy Eucharist. Um, so so it's, yeah, it's just to think about the priesthood in those terms. Like you said, there's a, there's a mediation aspect, but ultimately it's about offering sacrifice to God in the person of Christ and principally through the mysteries at the altar. That's where it kind of coalesces or it comes together most poignantly or perfectly. And um, it's not just the host, it's not just the offering, the unbloody sacrifice which commemorates the bloody sacrifice of Calvary that's changed, but the priest himself ought to be changed. Um, we talk, you know, in, in one of our classes about the priestly school of spirituality, which is um, like this French school, as it were, like 17th, 18th century, which is kind of intense. Uh, and it, it speaks a lot about the priest himself as an oblation, right? The priest is kind of consumed and his offering of sacred mysteries. Um, and you know, like where well, I guess we're at the 21st century, we think about ourselves as more psychologically balanced and well-adjusted. But um, yeah, that's a dimension that's certainly come to the fore 
in um, in just these recent days, where you hear stories about priests, some of whom are doing like really heroic things, other whom other others of whom are just kind of doing normal things, just kind of showing up. Uh, but you you can see that the kind of the general shape of their life is one of self-offering, which is awesome, which is what it ought to be. Um, so with that, let's take a short pause here, and we'll pick back up in a minute. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. And we're back. Uh, we're here. This is Father Gregory and Father Jacob Bertrand. We're chatting about the priesthood uh, on Holy Thursday. Maybe just a brief word too, a kind of commercial announcement that you'll see some extra tracks appearing during the Triduum. So we've got our ordinary episode that appears on Thursdays, and then we've started adding Lexio Divina on Saturdays, Sundays, so as to help with uh, cultivating a good disposition for reception of spiritual communion in the absence of public masses. Uh, but we figure for the Triduum, just because these are especially holy days, just to share a track each day. So this track drops at 4 a.m., but then in the afternoon each day, Holy Thursday, uh, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, we'll have um, an episode on like a seven church walk for Holy Thursday, seven last words for Good Friday, and then the seven kind of mysteries of salvation as recounted in the Old Testament readings of the Easter Vigil for Holy Saturday. So seven's the theme, but the episodes will stay 30 minutes, so that way you don't get overburdened by listening to our uninteresting voices. Uh, but you can look for those to come out in the next few days. Uh, but here we're going to pick back up with a description of the priesthood. And I think that uh, we've kind of talked a bit about or talked around or talked over and under what the priesthood means, but maybe just to get towards... Uh, a theological explanation of the heart of the mystery. We can talk about, you know, why priests specifically, what is it that a priest is, what is it that a priest does, what is it that a priest loves. Uh, so you want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the threefold office, the triple munera? Yeah, the, 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 the threefold gifts or threefold office or triple munera. Uh, we've already mentioned it on the first half of the podcast is of priest, prophet, and king. And I think it's important to recognize that those, those offices, the priestly, prophetic, and and kingly, regnative, I don't know what what I'm going to say, but we'll say one of those. Uh, are, we share, all of the baptized share in these offices of priest, prophet, and king. Uh, because it is, they are the offices of Christ, the, the high priest um, of, of God, and, you know, into whom we're baptized. But the, the church teaches us that the office of priesthood, the priesthood of holy orders is different, not just in degree. It's not a sort of simply an intensification. Um, it's not like priests are more priest, more prophet, more king, but it's a wholly different thing, different in kind. Um, so the priest, if you can think about, you know, the priest that you know, or, or parish priest, or your parish priest, or whoever who's a priest that you might know uh, <laughs> had exhausted the list before I was ready to, for it to be exhausted. Um, we can look at each of these and, and sort of look at what, how the priest functions, right? So priest, first and foremost, we were talking about the Old Testament priests who um, would offer sacrifice. And Father Gregory talked about the, the sacrifice that's offered on on the altar and the priest who is, is himself a sacrifice. So priesthood is first and foremost that that office of sacrifice and sacrificer the one who mediates as we were saying earlier but offers um, the sacrifice on the altar on behalf of the people um, who leads the church in worship um, who, who who gives the gifts that that are brought to the altar 
to God so that they can be instruments of salvation. So priest, the priest, the uh, moon or the priestly office. The prophetic office, um, we can think here of sort of the preaching office, of expounding on revelation, of leading the people in, 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 um, into Christ and in knowing Christ. Um, perhaps, again, the parish priest from the pulpit who teaches, who, who sort of leads and guides in that way. And, of course, the kingly office is the third, right? So priest, prophet, and king. Um, here we often, at least in sort of ecclesial kind of thought, think of kind of the governing office, that, that the priest the, is kind of is, is the shepherd and is the father of, of the parish, the, a father of souls in general. Um, so these, these identify the priest because they first identify Christ, who is a high priest. So Christ is sacrificed and sacrificed. Christ is himself the fulfillment of prophecy and prophetic in his own right, and Christ is the great high king. Um, so as as that, I love that that sort of um, that phrase, that Latin phrase, an alter Christus, that the priest is another Christ. He mirrors Christ in this kind of life. Uh, that's all kind of wrapped up in the idea of, of fatherhood too. I think that's perhaps a, something that we've heard of in the spiritual fatherhood or, or that kind of thing. Yeah, I guess... Um... Before moving on to fatherhood, I just had like a couple of random stray thoughts about priest, prophet, and king. I think like a lot of times, you know, when folks have objections to the priesthood, it's because they think about it as a kind of hierarchical institution that exists for like the oppression of this, that, the other type of person and uh, could potentially be like entitled and not genuinely of service, but represent a kind of, yeah, like clerical caste. And you'll, you'll, you know, you'll hear conversations about clericalism and things of that nature. Um, But I think that like a proper understanding of the threefold office militates against uh, that kind of appropriation of the priesthood for one or interpretation of the priesthood because um, each of those meanings is is just very, yeah, it's, it's paradoxical. Like uh, when you think about priest, he offers sacrifice, but principally he offers the sacrifice of himself. He offers the sacrifice of his life, you know, of his, you know, in certain contexts of possessions and wealth, of self-rule right, of family, but so as to be of service to the people of God and so as to be wed yet more perfectly to the Lord. And then you think about like the prophetic office, right? You would think about, you know, one who exercises an oracular office as potentially lording it over those in his care and leading them astray by strange and, you know, unverifiable pronouncements. But effectively, he is wed to the word, you know, he is a slave of the word of God, and it is his high, his high calling and duty to expound the word of God. And he needs to feed his people, right? He's bound by that. Like, they have the text prescribed by the liturgies, and it's his responsibility to exposit them in such a fashion that the people grow. Uh, and if they don't grow, that's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's on him. Um, and then you think about the kingly office. I was just watching a video that Father James Brent made. Um, about angels and demons and he was saying like the angels are organized in a hierarchy and he was talking about the seraphim and the cherubim and da 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 all the way down to archangels and angels and he's saying that like a lot of people have objections to hierarchy because they think about it in terms of you know placed over but he said the hierarchy is one of service right and I've heard somebody say that you know when you talk about church hierarchy you think about priests bishops the holy father and you think about it as like a kind of ascending scheme Uh, but also I think a, an equally legitimate way to think about it is a, is, a, is a descending scheme in the sense that those who take on greater responsibility are, are closer to the gates of hell in the sense that the Lord has promised that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. Uh, and he's instituted the priesthood for his own mysterious purposes to be a kind of safeguard, a bulwark. Um, and so there's, yeah, there's great responsibility. And as a result of which the Lord, please God, gives great graces to carry it out. 
And one of those graces is to exercise a kind of spiritual fatherhood. That's not something that we talk about a ton. Um, but I know like Father Carter Griffin, who lives up the hill here in our own neighborhood, have, you know, he wrote his dissertation and another book about spiritual paternity. Uh, what do you think, yeah, without kind of getting weird and creepy, what does it mean for a priest to be a spiritual father? Yeah, I, th- it is It is a dangerous or a fine line be- be into sort of getting into like creepy spiritual kind of like guruism and um we i don't i also don't want i or i don't like the idea of sort of spiritual fatherhood taking the place of a sort of biological fatherhood as if that could substitute you know like um i've i've heard it said and i, and I don't like it that uh that with such a, a dearth of i don't know the breakdown of the family in the modern modern kind of culture that you know the the priests sort of take the role of like the father in the family and that's just like I don't really find that to be true. I don't. I don't know. I think. I think they're kind of different things, but I do think that the priest is as spiritual father in the sense of leading souls, of feeding souls, of nourishing souls, really of being willing to lay down his own life for souls. As Father Gregory was saying, that um, you know the priest sacrifices um, his his own life and a lot of goods and for the service of others. Um, sometimes when, when the sacraments, the seven sacraments are kind of broken into various categories, marriage and and holy orders are often lumped together and they're given, I don't know, they're never given like a satisfactory kind of title. So you have the sacraments of initiation and you have the sacraments of the sick, and then you kind of have like the other two, it's like states in life or these sorts of things. But the, I think the, the uniting, the uniting thing there with, with marriage and holy orders, and it defines, I think, biological fatherhood, but also spiritual fatherhood is that, in those two vocations, though different, um, the person grows in holiness in proportion to the sacrifice that they offer for the other. It's a voca- it's a it's a way of living for another. You know, mm-hmm. so you can think husband and wife living for each other, living for their children, but the priest living for his flock, really. And I think that sort of fatherhood of of laying down his life in order to lead one to heaven um, is the kind of fatherhood that that we're talking about. And that doesn't mean necessarily like that the priest is uber awe-inspiring or like the best man ever or like you know priests are men so they're not perfect but um there is a real sense of of sort of generating giving life and baptism and sort of allow nurturing and and bringing that to fruition um through the office of the priesthood Uh, often less about the man and more about the grace that he he bestows as an instrument of of the sacraments i think i was thinking um what was it I was talking with a friend about Joseph Pieper's essay on love or charity, and he talks about the difference between mother love and father love, and he says that uh, a mother typically loves, you know, her children unconditionally. She's kind of like the floor of love, and then the father, it's kind of understood in the context of a family life that you have to earn his love, right? So he's more like the ceiling of love, as it were, and that both are necessary for growing uh, a human heart or for helping a human individual to mature into the saint that they're destined to be. Um, and mind you, obviously, that a father's love has elements of it that are unconditional and a mother's love has elements of it that need be earned, right? So it's it's kind of a type more so than an adequate reflection of the reality. Um, but I think that like part of, part of the priesthood is calling the people up, you know, like calling the people further up and further into the mysteries of God, not to himself, but to the Lord. Um, and you have a sense there that like he brings them with him into the sanctuary and to bring a full circle to talk about the old ephod um you know the the old testament priests they would i mean the high priest would wear a garment where he had 12 stones uh, each one representing representing a tribe of israel and he would he would wear that as he entered into the holy of holies so he would present the people with him before god 
So I think part of like whatever spiritual maternity means, but part of it I think means uh, that he calls the people up into a life of holiness. He ought to show it to them. Uh, he ought to inspire it. He ought to encourage it. He ought to, you know, invite to it. Uh, but ultimately, he ought to lead them into it. And I think that's like part of what it means to be a father. You know, again, you don't want to like fall into crash gender stereotypes about this, that, and the other thing. But there's there's some content to headship, right? And there's something to, to leading a family and to being like, yeah, in, in my own family, when my father said we're all going to confession on a Saturday afternoon, it didn't matter what you thought about it. You just went. Or when he said we're praying a family rosary, it really it didn't matter what you thought about that either. You were just going to do it, even if you like lounged on the ground and tried as hard as you could to fall asleep so that way you didn't have to endure its length. Um, but yeah, so I think that there's, there's something to that. Um, well, we have a couple minutes left. Uh, maybe just a final, a final parting word on how priestly celibacy is an affirmation of love rather than a denial of love. Maybe just some thoughts. Yeah, there, I, I remember when I was when I was getting ready to enter the order, it was like, you know, the summer before, um, one of the questions that I, oh, and still, I still get asked, but not nearly as much, but like one of the questions I got asked is like, so you're not going to get married? It's like, nope. And then the next question was like, so you're not going to have sex? It's like, mm, those are out of order, but no. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, it was you know the the priestly celibacy is is especially in, in like to what what year are we twenty twenty you know you you can kind of attribute or perhaps has been in the media all these sort of downfalls of celibacy you can you know why can't the priest be married there's a shortage of priests these sorts of things well really what it boils down to is is what we've said a number of times already and and that's that the priest is an altar Christus. He's another Christ. Everything that the priest is and does, he does so in imitation of the great high priest of, of Jesus Christ, and which includes a celibate life, a life given wholly over to sacrifice to the word, to, to that headship, you know, over souls, um, such that there's no distraction. So it's not a saying that marriage is not good or that marital intimacy or children aren't good. They are, in fact, we affirm them, but that even those great goods are sacrificed for the greater good of, of, um, the spiritual life that the priest engenders on a practical level too. It, it, it really does free the priest, um, to serve well, mm -hmm. um, to not be hindered, um, to not be held back, to give himself fully at all times. He really becomes a man not to himself um, in in that in the celibacy, in the life of celibacy. And the other thing here too, I think that's important is that celibacy is also understood to be a sort of sign, uh, an eschatological sign, a sign of the kingdom, of the love that's shared in the kingdom. Perhaps we talk more about this with the vow of chastity and religious, which is different than celibacy. Um, but I think it still conveys the same the same sort of image that there is reminds the world that there is something beyond this world, that there's a love greater than the sort of earthly loves or even the best of loves that are experienced between between two people. There's there's still something greater. And that's the love of the father, the love mm. of God. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's it can go any number of ways uh, when a man endeavors to be celibate. Um, you know, on, you can see with. It's possible to become selfish, right? And to take the lack of responsibility as a kind of permission to just look out for yourself and get yours. But the hope is that uh, it provides the space in which God's grace can operate to make you yet more generous, you know, like yet more present and yet more excellent. Because marriage has a way of making people holy. It really does. I was just thinking about this recently as I was reading an email from my dad. 
Um, marriage, marriage makes people holy. And if you're going to give that up, it has to be because God is inviting you into something different, something excellent, something beautiful that can not only make you holy, but that can change the entire trajectory of your life such that it makes other people holy. Because in that, it makes sense, right? And, and it testifies beautifully and eloquently that God is enough and that this person is made to make God near. But if it's not, you know, if it's not endeavored, if it's not assented to, if it's not cooperated with, and it becomes a kind of strange countersign. So the, the high calling becomes, it can become a rebuke for those who fall short, but it ought to be an aspiration for those who would endeavor to strive. Uh, so yeah, big things, big ticket items here on Holy Thursday. Please, in your kindness, pray for priests, pray for us. We pray for you. We're delighted you listened. We ask you to share this with those whom you think might benefit from it and even those whom you think might not benefit from it because who cares? <laughs> Just kidding, but seriously. So um, our love and our prayers for you during this Triduum and uh, we'll catch you next time on God's Planning. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.